Hello, I'm Neil Sharp, Marketing and Propositions Director at Penn and the host of the Rise of the Customer podcast. Throughout the first series, we explored through interviews with some fantastic guests what it takes to be customer-centric in reality and what it's like for the people charged with delivering results in sectors as diverse as life assurance, life sciences, and even professional football to lead organizations in a purposeful way which actually drives great customer experience. This podcast is a bit of a roundup, which we've compiled to shine a spotlight on the importance of culture in driving customer centricity. I think it would be an understatement to say that culture drives customer experience. In our work, day in and day out, we see examples, good and bad, of how the culture of organizations impacts the people within that organization. And that makes them behave in certain ways and subsequently impacts customers through the experience they have in dealing with those organizations. And our clients often ask us, what is the secret to driving a truly customer-centric culture? Now, obviously, there isn't one single secret. However, having a clear and well-communicated set of values or ethos, which is very, very clearly communicated to your people, at least ensures that they start from a position of clarity of what's expected from them. So to begin with, let's hear from Tom Baker, who's chairman of LifeSearch. Let's hear him talk about his ethos and how he communicates ever so clearly to his people what's expected of them when they join LifeSearch and what they need to do day in, day out. It's a long story. Uh, I'll try and tell it briefly, though, if you've already already realised that's not my forte. Having started as a financial advisor, you realise, or I realise, that treasuring your client is, is the way to succeed. So when I recruited people to do the job over the phone, I didn't see that there was any difference in that. And so I developed a, a thing which I call the life search ethos, which I'll just explain in, in tiny terms, very briefly. Mm. Uh, it, it's that above all, the key human behavior that is needed to be a good professional is, is honesty. But honesty is a, a very slippery fish because you know, a professional who tells the client the whole truth will bore the client absolutely rigid. Mm-hmm. So, so you've got to make the decision honest decision as to what the client needs to know in order to make the right decision and that's what you tell them mm-hmm. now abuse that and you're a salesman and a con man so you need to understand the, the deeper truths behind honesty and that took me into the next step for me is personal responsibility we are at our most honest when we are taking personal responsibility when yeah. we're not doing that we're something else Mm-hmm. We're gliding along in the corners and the cracks, really. So, personal responsibility was my is my demand of every life searcher who's ever joined. Take personal responsibility because that will mean that you are are honest. Except that the problem in a corporate context is that personal responsibility can take get you into a lot of trouble mm-hmm. because yeah. you go the extra yard, you speak out, you think you're empowered, and all of a sudden your leadership find, finds that uncomfortable, or you've made a cock up. First up, there's no doubt about that. And suddenly you're in 10 times more trouble than you would otherwise be. And so the life search ethos, the third part, honesty, personal responsibility, is, is something, a, a pair of words I stuck together that I've never heard anyone else use, and that is corporate humility. Mm-hmm. And my definition, which again, every life searcher hears within a few weeks of joining of corporate humility, that there is no one in the company that hasn't made at least as many mistakes as anyone else. 
We just do all make a lot of mistakes. And I go on to point out that I will have made more than any of them. And they work out under my questioning that that's because I'm older, but also because I built life search. And if you build big businesses, you make more mistakes than people who don't. The more you, the more you achieve, the more mistakes you make. That's how it goes. So they get that. Uh, and they also get this concept of corporate humility. Uh, and then I complete the cycle by talking about tolerance because corporate humility fosters a, 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 a vibe of tolerance and tolerance is the absolute prerequisite to honesty mm-hmm. tolerance in a regulated business tolerance in a large institution is very rare it, yep. all of them tend to be rules governed and we all have experience of an intolerant environment because we all went to school and we all lie, lied through our teeth throughout our school careers at every mm-hmm. opportunity we were given because mm-hmm. that kept us out of trouble mm-hmm. so you've got to have that combination i think of four things to create a truly customer-centric culture. And I invented that. That's that, that was what I started thinking I should talk to them about. And I've been doing it ever since. I haven't actually changed it at all over 22 years, which may be uh, a lack of imagination, but it just works for me and for the business. So Tom speaks there very, very passionately about his ethos and about the fact that his people are crystal clear about what's expected of them when they join LifeSearch. Many organizations have values. Sometimes they're on the website. Sometimes they even put them on the walls or they're shown on a mouse mat or something similar that becomes simply a dust gathering item on someone's desk. However, in our experience, in really high performing organizations that are judged by their customers as being good to deal with, values really do drive behaviors and more importantly, are taken incredibly seriously by leaders. Here's Paul Barber, chief executive and joint chairman of Brighton and Hove Albion Football Club giving his perspective on managing culture. For me, the, the consistency of behaviours of our staff and the consistency of the culture of the club are more important than the awards. That you know, They're nice to win and we're always delighted to win or receive recognition for, for what we're trying to do. But I think when you've got a very clear vision, as we have, you know, our original vision was to try and become a Premier League club. We achieved that. We've then adjusted it to stay in the Premier League. We're achieving that. It's an it's a ongoing process. And... You know, last year we set a new vision to try and become a top 10 club in in the Premier League and a top four club in the Women's Super League. Now, they are long-term stretching ambitions, but in order to achieve them, we want people to be guided by a very consistent set of values. So, you know, we we have five values and, and they're quite simple. Act with integrity, treat people well, exceed expectations, aim high and make it special. Those five values guide the behavior of our staff on a day-to-day basis, and they guide the recruitment of people on a day-to-day basis, and they also guide the performance appraisals of people on a day-to-day basis. You know, we want to be the best that we can be because we're in a a top-level sport and a competitive industry and a results-driven industry, but we want to achieve our objectives in a way that is consistent with those values. And if we've got someone who is a very, very high performer, but they don't treat people well or they don't act with integrity, then they leave us because we don't put performance above the values of the organization. If we've got someone that treats people well, acts with integrity, and is doing their very best to exceed expectations, but whose performance is not quite at the level, we will help them as much as we can to reach the required levels of performance. And if they can't, it could be that they leave us as well. But what we do is we provide far more latitude and support for someone that's meeting the values and striving for the performance than we do for someone that's exceeding the performance but not meeting the values. 
And I think it's really important if you're to establish a very distinct culture for an organisation that you understand that there are consequences to living by values, both ways. You know, sometimes you might have to be patient with someone who's underperforming but meeting the values, and you might have to be pretty tough and ruthless on someone that's delivering the performance but is wreaking havoc with the club's culture or the business's culture. And, you know, these are very deliberate decisions that you have to make at the highest level of the organisation. Otherwise, they become not something that people are prepared to engage with because they don't believe you. They don't believe that the culture is real. They believe it's just words. And we talk a lot about our values being actions, not words, behaviours, not words. And after a while, you know, what happens here is that people don't talk about the values at all, but you can see that they live them. And that's really important. And we sometimes in an interview can tell within the first five minutes whether someone is going to be the type of person that's going to fit with the culture here or the type of person that, that, that won't. And that can make an interview quite short. But it's a very, very useful way of our, our managers of hiring people. You know, they, you know we, we don't let anyone into an interview if they haven't got the, the qualifications required for the job, they haven't got the experience required for the job. The thing we're really testing in, in, in the interview is whether they're going to fit the culture of the club. And that's, that's very important to us. So Paul talks there about recruiting to the culture and the fact that whilst performance can be developed, quite often if people are not aligned to the culture and simply don't get it, that it's hard to be successful. And this mindset is another trait of organisations that deliver great CX. Furthermore, when you really explore how these organisations are run, we start to understand that by defining what's expected, almost writing down the culture that you want to try and achieve and then recruiting to it, what follows is a simply more empowered and enjoyable place to work. And this is summed up really well by Stuart Tragheim, who's chief executive of Holloway Friendly Society. At interview, we do talk quite a lot about about culture and we talk a lot about ethos and what we're here for and all that sort of stuff. And we test during interview process a little bit, you know, just by asking sensible questions, you know, how people feel about, about the jobs that they do. So if we were recruiting from an outsourced business, for example, because there's quite big outsourced businesses in and around Gloucestershire, then their history and their processes would be driven around SLAs. So the first thing they think about is, can I get this piece of business focused or this activity done within a certain period of time? Because that's what the requirements are. And I kind of go, well, that's okay up to a point, but where does the quality measurement come in? So it's got to be quality and quantity. And then we've also found, quite interesting actually during the interview process, what are the things, the kind of questions we would ask is, what are the things that you are doing in your current job that cause you to have a bit of a prick of conscience? And we use that kind of question. In fact, we do it in, this, in our staff surveys as well. We, we test culture quite regularly and, and conscience questions are really quite important. So as you really scrape away the layers and start to try and get to the heart of culture, clarity of purpose often sits right in the middle of everything. And I spoke to Sam Seaton, CEO of Money Hub, about how having a very clear purpose statement can also be used to drive the culture and the customer experience. Their purpose statement as a provider of financial aggregation technology is to enhance the lifetime financial wellness of people, their communities and their businesses. Now, as a firm, they commissioned an artist to create a map which represents the life journey that people go on looking through the lens of finances. And this is used extensively to communicate internally and externally what the organisation is about. I wanted to understand from Sam how they came up with their statement and how visible it is in the firm. So for us, it's, it was, I mean, it sounds awful, but it wasn't hard, you know, because, you know, when you think about money and money is an enabler, 
you know, something like that purpose to me doesn't feel that difficult. I guess the only bit that's a bit unique about it is the community aspect. I mean, we it's you know, it's very easy to think about a consumer or a business, but I think actually we've got to think a bit broader than that. So within businesses and with and within consumers, the community aspect is quite important, I think, now. And that I think comes through with you know the, the work that's been done on tribes and things like that. I think you ignore that at your peril. So we yeah. want to kind of bring all of that together. So you can't have a statement like that and then not make that really ingrained in what you do. Otherwise, you don't have the right people that join the business. So although you need diversity of thought and you genuinely do need different people from all different places in the world, demographics, I still think you can't build a really strong business if you aren't genuinely bought into what it's trying to do. So I I think that's sometimes where people potentially get diversity a bit mixed up, you know. Mm -hmm. So it, it would be no point us employing someone that just honestly all they think about is is making a quick buck Mm -hmm. it might be a diversity of thought but that's it's just not going to work so so we have to bring those values all the way through and I mean for some of your listeners it might be worth going on to our careers page you know on our website because you can see the map and, and we kind of explain the values for that which is you know collaborative nurturing and agile I mean they're our three values and they're core to what we do as a business and we believe those three values for us is what's going to help us achieve that purpose. Yeah. And it's not just clients, is it? It's your, it's the, it's no, no, completely. I, it, it drives everything. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that was my point. I mean, I think it's, it's almost in great organizations, it's kind of baked into the DNA of the business. And I know that's kind of like, sounds like a, a typical consultant statement, but where it's true, you kind of feel it when you go into somewhere or you're talking to somebody because everything that they're espousing is is yeah. is natural and it just comes out and it makes it easy for you to pick it up so for example you know we will pick each other up on it you know it's like and sometimes you can do it as a bit of a joke but actually it's good it's like well that wasn't very nurturing Neil, was it yeah. <laughs> right know, yeah. So, yeah yeah you know, like, you know that, that felt like you know you were being you know and sometimes it's funny but it does make it easy to kind of keep it alive doesn't it mm. yeah so anyway so it's very important to us as a business not to, to live it eat your own lunch Otherwise, I just I think it's a hollow statement, and it doesn't matter what statement you come up with; it won't matter. So, I think you'll agree that by now, what's coming through really, really clearly is that clarity of purpose and the need to spell out the values and the behaviours that you want, and then recruit to those values and make sure people understand them is critical. The other thing we hear from customer-centric leaders is the need to constantly nurture and drive the culture. You can't just let it run on its own. Where it's done well, the benefits can be felt by your people and your customers. And here is Teddy Nyahasha, Chief Executive Officer of One Family, on nurturing culture. It's certainly noticeable, you know, when you're in the building and and when you're talking to your guys that they kind of just get it. It seems to be almost in their DNA. I mean, is that is that a recruitment masterstroke, or do you constantly reinforce it? Are you are you brainwashing people? How how do you how do you do that? No, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't put it as. I mean, we we do we we do make a point to try to make sure that we are bringing people who subscribe to the same ethos and ideals that and the culture. Uh, and I said one of the things that we're trying to do is kind of refresh what our culture is, and which is you know what are the behaviors that we're trying to encourage. But I'll say, you know, I've been fortunate that I've taken over an organization where that long-standing customer centricity has is, is almost embedded, particularly at the core of the business. And where I say the core of the business is kind of the customer services 
and and I do take time so often in the year to just go down to our customer services desk, which now is predominantly virtual, to listen in to calls, and and that's where you really feel kind of the heart of the organization. So I think we have it in kind of within the DNA. But having said that, it's something that if you not if you don't nurture, it's something that you will quickly lose and there's always the the risk that you know and so, so it's something that you do need to continually nurture always remind ourselves of why we're here always remind ourselves as to what we what we're trying to achieve and and having exercises like the one we started this year which is just across the whole organization going through how we want to behave and what we what we value the most within the organization, just reinforcing that. That's something that I always say, you know, you, you always have to continually do because it's, it's the passion that goes beyond kind of the day job that really carries you through. And we had a great testament of that during the lockdown. And if you, if you recall, we were lucky as a UK-centric business, we were effectively in control of all our resources and people. And therefore, it, the, the initial challenge was just making sure our colleagues worked were safely working from home. But after that, one of the things that we did discover was we're getting inundated with calls from customers, but not because customers were initially wanting to have a conversation about the product. But what became clear is we had quite a large group of, particularly the more uh, elderly customers, were isolated and they were calling in on our call center because they were looking for a friendly voice to talk to. Mm-hmm. So whilst they're normal out with, you know, the weather, this time around it was starting with, you know, COVID and then you get into, you know, their their state. And and that was kind of interesting when you start to look at the stats of how long our calls were taking much longer. But, you know, that was basically reinforcing why we were here as an organization is those people we're trying to serve and it's it's as simple as just being there for your customers and doing the right thing It's, Mm. it's it's not rocket science so that was teddy there talking about nurturing culture and one of the things i get a sense of not just from talking to people in these podcasts but when you actually go to organizations that live and breathe purpose and values in this way is that there's a genuine energy around the place. There's a genuine sense of satisfaction that people not only understand what they need to do, but they're actually delivering it and they can judge for themselves the actions that they need to take in order to deliver what's asked of them. So when you nurture in the right way and your people get it, what does it actually feel like for the leaders themselves? Here is Katie Howe, CEO of Social Media Consultancy, Immediate Future, who've got a purpose statement of break the social boring. Oh, absolutely. We live and breathe the break the social boring. Uh, I'll give you an interesting example. We're interviewing because we're, we're in growth. We're interviewing for new staff. And the interviewee asked, the candidate asked me, you know, what do we stand for and what are our values? And we have three values, curiosity, collaboration and courage, because you need to be brave to do what we do. And then we did a, a kind of one of those uh, meet and greet the team type things. And I just sort of sat in the background, you know, so that the team can get to know that that candidate well. And my team just said everything I said. <laughs> you know, when you know your most junior member of staff is just almost word for word saying what you said, you just know you've got that culture running <laughs> to your business. I was so I was beaming away silently in the background like some very creepy old lady. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's great to hear a CEO being so candid about their feelings and anyone who knows Katie will absolutely know that she's anything other than a creepy old lady. So we've heard now from various senior leaders of customer-centric organizations in very simple but very clear ways how communication and purpose and values are there to ensure that their people know what's expected of them. And what happens when this is successful is that you genuinely feel the difference when you interact with the organization. And even more so, when you actually get a chance to go into the premises of the organization and spend time with the people doing their jobs and hearing and watching and seeing what's going on. You get a real feel for the internal culture. And there is definitely a difference in an organization that has these things right and has real clarity of purpose and a real clarity around the culture that they're trying to create. And as a way of bringing this episode to a close, I thought I'd give the last word to Oki Eliazu, who is COO of Bought by Many and the author of a book called The Cult of Service Excellence. The whole premise of Oki's book is that where you have really, truly customer-centric organizations, the cultures actually resemble cults in some way. And I wanted to explore with him what he meant by that. The whole central theme of the book, which you've called The Cult of Service Excellence, is about the fact that cultures created in some of the world's greatest customer-focused, customer-centric companies resemble the mindset of a cult. Okay. Now, did you really mean that? I mean, it's, it's, it's got some real connotations to it, and it's a very powerful statement, but I'd, I'd love to explore that with you. What, what made you come up with that as a concept, and, and you know, do you kind of mean that as a cult? Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, look, look, you know, poetic license, but basically it's an extrapolation of an idea that a cult is, is based on lots of different things. But one thing is a, is a, a central belief that everybody in it believes in, right? Everybody believes in. Be it good or bad, and in no way was I glorifying cults. I was saying they have a strong core of belief, right? And belief's hugely important. And I think to create a customer-centric organization, it's exactly the same, right? At the core of that organization, you have to believe in doing the right things for customers. And actually, because it, when you run a business, and I know that's this now from running a small business and growing it, there are so many distractions. There are so many things that can drive you to make decisions that aren't customer-centric at all, you know, unless your belief is that actually we believe that this is the right thing to do. The central path around customer-centricity is right, and everyone has to believe that. So even in our organization now, it's one of the core questions is, we're a customer-centric business. Can you tell me about another customer-centric business and why it makes it that way? Because we want to understand that you understand what it means yeah. and what being customer-centric means and what making customer-centric decisions means. So I 100% believe that. And not only do I believe it, not only have I been in the position to help build it, but mm. it's, I've seen it in organizations. And that's what that's what drove it. If you If you actually go to Disney and you spend time there talking to the trainers at the Institute or the guy that takes us around the park or the people in the park, they fundamentally believe in the making their guests as happy as they possibly can, showing them that magic, yeah. right? And yeah. everything they do, everything they do is centered around creating magic for those customers. And you don't get people, I interviewed someone last week, who'd been seven times to Disney. I'm like, what? But I wasn't like, what? Because I know that these people exist, right? Mm. And, and basically, if any business thought, I can get that degree of of repurchase, of recommendation, of fandom, you would have it. But to have mm. to get that, 
you have to have the belief at the central core that being customer centric will win win the way for you. And so, yeah, I do believe it. So I think it's pretty clear from those perspectives that great cultures that really put customers at the heart of what they do don't happen by accident. They are led and they're designed with real intent to create a set of outcomes which can be felt by the staff and the customers alike. Now, today, we've only really had a chance to scratch the surface of this really important subject area. And if you'd like to hear more from any of those people or indeed other inspirational leaders about how to create and manage customer-centric cultures, the full versions of those interviews and others can be found on our podcast page or on whichever platform you've accessed this episode from. Thank you very much for listening today. I hope you've enjoyed the episode. And as ever, if you've got any comments or questions, please get in touch. Thanks very much for listening today. If you found that useful, please give us a like on whatever platform you're listening to us on. And if you'd like to know more, you can find us at penpartnership.com or you can follow Pen Partnership on LinkedIn. Until next time, goodbye.